You're listening to the Collective Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za. Good morning, friends. Uh, it's wonderful to think of each one of you in your homes this morning. I'm picturing you sitting at home with a cup of coffee and turning on your computer and just joining us this morning in what the Lord is saying and what He's doing. And it really is an exciting time. And just sending love from all the mods to you. Um, this morning we're going to be starting with something different and I'm really excited about this. My mom had a dream last weekend and we just felt it was a, a key a dream that the Lord was speaking to us as a community through. There's a sense at the moment of allowing our hearts to grow in anticipation of what God is doing. And in this dream, my mom had a sense of God giving his beautiful glory back to the church, a sense of revival, a sense of him pouring out his spirit on his bride in the weeks to come. And so I wanted her to share the dream, and so we recorded it earlier this week to share with you guys so that your own hearts could begin to stir up with expectation for what God is doing at this time. So in a dream last week, God gave me a very specific word. It was the word Chabot, and I could see this word written in big capital letters, the spelling clear, clear, clear. And when I woke up, I was like, what was that about Chabot? Is that word even in the Bible? What does it mean? And I began to look it up, see if I could find it, dig into it a bit, and actually Chabod means weighty glory, the weighty glory of the Lord. It is found in Exodus, for example, when the weighty glory of the Lord comes down on Mount Sinai or in, um, in the chapter about Solomon dedicating the temple where he's praying for the dedication of the temple and then the fire falls down and consumes the sacrifice and then the Chabod glory of the Lord fills the house. And as I discovered more and more about the meaning of Chabot, I, I just became more and more excited and a sense of expectation started to just fill my heart. And I said, like, God, why are you saying this now? It's because you want to do this again. You want to do this. You want to do it now for us. And he led me to Psalm 29, which is an amazing psalm. It's called The Glory God Thunders. And the whole psalm is about this weighty glory of God, the Shabbat glory, um, thunder, lightning, the voice of God, so powerful, the glory and presence of God, so strong. It's actually like a physically tangible presence. It ends towards the end of the psalm. It says, everyone falls down and they're shouting, glory, glory, the God of glory. And then when I read in the footnotes that apparently this psalm is read in Jewish synagogues on the first day of the Feast of Pentecost. I started to get really excited. I actually just got goose flesh all over. Because... As we know, the Christian church was born at Pentecost over 2,000 years ago. And the 
spirit fell in power on those gathered in that upper room and the tongues of fire on their heads and it was just a glorious glorious birthing of what god wanted the church to be and i just had such a sense that in this season god is going to do something quite exceptional we had a very significant passover easter everyone locked down like the first passover and i i just really have a sense in my spirit that this pentecost and pentecost is the end of next week that this pentecost season this season now that we're in god is wanting to do something very powerful he wants to i really believe with all my heart he wants to pour out his spirit on his sons and his daughters he wants to reveal his glory in a way that's going to like blow our minds beyond what we can maybe even expect or imagine and so i actually want to encourage us all as i feel this rising expectation I just want to encourage us all to in faith have our expectation grow and just have a sense of preparing our hearts to receive something amazing from the spirit of god during this time to open our minds and hearts to a new move of the spirit here in our community our city our nation across the globe god has got new things in store for us and i really believe that this chabot glory is not just kind of an old hebrew word it's something god wants to do in a new way for us right now can i can i encourage you friends this morning to make space in your heart to meditate on that word that my mom shared with us the lord is speaking to us at the moment he's speaking to us individually yes and he's speaking to us as a community and it's just beautiful to create space to meditate to position ourselves for what he's saying at this time it's so easy in the demands of daily living to just get absorbed with everything that's around us but the lord is doing something amazing and so we're anticipating that pouring out of his spirit that beautiful pouring out of his weighty glory on our lives and so let your hearts be stirred with a beautiful expectation and excitement let those things those places maybe that have been dormant for a while wake up to what the holy spirit is doing at this time all right friends let's dive right into the word this morning um the lord has been speaking to me on this theme for the past couple of weeks and it's been something that has been unfolding in my own life as i've been making it real with the holy spirit and so i really hope that this morning's message as an encouragement and an inspiration and that you walk away with a sense of goodness and freedom this morning being in the, the middle of a struggle it's important to remember what warfare looks like in the kingdom what does it look like to contend for a miracle to hold out for god to do the impossible or to stand against the attack of the enemy in whatever form that may come sickness or disappointment or fear um, intimidations perhaps accusations against our identity Ephesians 6 gives us a beautiful understanding of what warfare looks like for us as sons and daughters. 
It's not about shouting at the devil or having to go to the high places to pull down strongholds. It's not begging God to move or to do something. Warfare is about standing. Standing firm on who God is, on his word, on his promises. It's standing firm on the finished work on the, of the cross and standing firm on who he says you are. But before, before we get into the details of what it means to stand, I'd like to jump into something, a foundational understanding of what must come first. Before we can stand, let's get some foundational understandings. I've been uh, studying Ephesians this year, and in the past weeks of studies, I've stumbled across this little book by Watchman Nee, uh, and it's called Sit, Walk, Stand. Watchman Nee was a leader in the early church movement in China, Beginning in the 1930s, he helped establish local churches in China, uh, and that became the house church movement that spread as the Western missionaries had to leave the country at a later stage. It was penned in the 1930s, and it is so incredibly good to find a gospel gem that was penned in such a different place and such a different time in history. What sits with you is the truth that Paul shared in Ephesians was as true for the early church 2,000 years ago, as it is for the church in China in 1930, as it is for us today in 2020, facing the crisis that we face globally. So sit, walk, stand is a concise, simple, and, and helpful summary of Ephesians. And it's a beautiful outline for a basis of understanding of how we get to walk and stand in warfare because we first sit. So let's jump into that. The reason that we stand in victory against the devil and in faith for the impossible and in confident expectation for miracles is because we first sit. The first section of Ephesians, chapter 1, 2, and 3, uh, we note the word sit. And it's a key understanding to um, unpack what Paul has packed into that uh, section of Ephesians. God has made us to sit with Christ in heavenly places, and we begin, we continue, and we end our spiritual life from that place of rest. So let's look at Ephesians 1, 20 to 22. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Isn't that an incredible place to start? Let's look at the victory of Jesus. As God raised Jesus from the dead, he placed him above every authority and power in this age and in every age to come. He is seated above those powers. They are under his feet and he fills um, the church, his body, with the fullness of that victory. What a starting place. When Jesus hung on the cross and made one final statement, it is finished. Everything that needed to be done for our eternal destiny was accomplished in this moment. 
There is nothing that we will need a hundred billion years from now that has not been provided for at the cross. It was that complete. It will take eternity to scratch at that understanding. It's this most wonderful thing that the cross was so complete and for ages and ages to come we'll be unpacking what the kindness and grace of God was to us in the cross of Jesus. So we can make the mistake of trying to figure out how to walk out this Christian life or to stand in warfare contending for the impossible without being completely saturated in the understanding that we are invited from the very beginning to sit down and to enjoy what God has done for us in Jesus. We sit with him in glorious perfection, in triumphant victory and in his authority. We are joined in life union with him. And even though it may not feel like that to you right now, even though your circumstances may be in direct contradiction, that is the truth. And later on when we look at stand, we'll see that is the truth that becomes the, the belt around us in the armor of God. Let's read, that was the victory of Christ, let's read where we are in his victory. Ephesians 2 verse 6 where this key concept of sitting comes out. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. How did we get there? We did absolutely nothing to save ourselves, but we received, we fully received what Jesus had done for us. And now we are seated with him in victory and in authority and in life union. The Christian life is start to finish utter dependence on Jesus. Where we've made a mistake in thinking that maturity perhaps looks like being less needy of the Lord. Like we start with this neediness in salvation and we receive that full gift. And then we think maturity looks like becoming more independent and moving on to more mature things. Actually, maturity looks like deeper, more absolute and complete dependence on the Holy Spirit and on our position in Christ. He will give us everything, but we can receive none of it except that we rest in him. Isn't it beautiful that sitting is an act of total rest? When we sit, we relax our body, our whole body, our muscles and our nerves, and the strain and the weight of what we are actually falls on something outside of ourselves. It falls on the chair or on the couch on which we're sitting. And in the same way, we rest ourselves, we rest our burdens, we rest our worries, we rest our future, everything on the Lord. And we let him bear the weight and we stop carrying it ourselves. God worked for six days in the story of creation, right? He worked for six days and he said, this is good. And on the seventh day, he rested. 
And in Hebrews 4, he says that by faith we have entered into that Sabbath rest. Now, of course, between the seventh day of creation and when God completed that finality of entering his rest in the death and the resurrection of Jesus on the cross, we have the whole story of Adam. We have the fall of Adam and the outworking of the curse. But when Jesus cried, it is finished, it really was all done. God gives us the gift of salvation, his son's finished work, and he says, now rest in it. It is done. There is no greater victory than the victory that Jesus won on the cross. That victory cry means God has done everything in Jesus, and we get to step into that finished work like little children, with the trust of little children. Let's jump in and read Hebrews 4. I'm reading from the Passion Translation, so I keep the NIV and the Passion and the Message, I keep all the different translations with me, and I love to just pull out the one that seems to drive home the point or the meaning of the message most clearly. So I'm reading from the Passion Translation, Hebrews 4, The Faith Rest Life. Now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works just as God celebrate his, celebrates his finished work and rests in them. That's what we do. We get to celebrate the finished work of Jesus and to rest in it just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. So then we must give our all and be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. For we have the living word of God which is full of energy and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our heart. Utter dependence is where I started and utter dependence is where I stay. The Sabbath, friends, is not a day of the week that we set aside for rest, although that is a rhythm that I really love. It is actually the era that we have entered into. We have entered into the Sabbath rest of God. This word from Hebrews 4 went into my heart like a sword and cut through my soul and spirit in the past couple of weeks. The fruit of my faith is rest. My greatest warfare is joy and peace. That's a byproduct of the simple childlike faith, joy and peace. The red flag that we're not living in faith, and faith is the environment for miracles. It's the environment for the supernatural where the impossible happens for provision and breakthrough. The red flag that I'm not actually in faith is that I don't have rest or peace, or joy, because I'm not sitting in the finished work of the cross and the complete victory of Jesus. 
That revelation was, was something that so deeply ministered to my heart over the last couple of weeks. You know, you want to say, I can't have joy right now because of the circumstances that I face. And the truth is, is that in your own strength, you can't have joy. But that old man that relied on its own strength was actually nailed to the cross with Jesus. And the, the new life that I'm experiencing is Christ's life in me. Is he joyful? Yes. And so despite what I'm facing, the source of my joy is the life of Jesus inside of me. You may say, I can't feel rest right now because I need to sort this out and I'm anxious about this and I'm worried about that. Your old anxious self was nailed to the cross with Jesus. The right to feel that anxiety and that, 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 that turmoil and that worry, that was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And he lives inside of us and he is, as, is at perfect rest. And so I can rest back in the reality of the life of Jesus being inside of me. It's the same for hope deferred. You know, there's this pattern in our life that we can get into where we're hoping for something. And time after time after time, what we're hoping for just doesn't come through. And so we think, hey, that scripture in Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We had a moment like that this week where we were hoping for a certain project that, and it's been a pattern where this thing just hasn't come through. And I said to Rob, oh, my heart feels sick with hope deferred. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit said to me, no, that sick old heart was nailed to, with Jesus on the cross. I live inside of you and I am full of hope. And in that second, I got to lean into the hope of the Holy Spirit inside of me and to be filled with hopeful expectation for the breakthrough and for the promise of God over my life. What I don't want you to land in is that these red flags become a heavy, like I am still anxious, I am still worried, I am not full of joy, and therefore let me sort myself out before I go to Jesus. That is absolutely not the point. You and I were not enough. If we were enough to work this out on our, by ourselves, Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross and die. He did that so that we are not alone in this moment. So that in what we're feeling, in the mess of that, we see that Jesus is right there with us. And it's in that place that there's this beautiful exchange of us laying down those things and taking on the life of Jesus that is now living through us. Look at the beautiful way that, Ephesians, that uh, Hebrews 4 ends from verse 14. Jesus, our compassionate king priest, so then we must cling in faith for all we know to be true. We cling to what we know to be true, even though our circumstances or our feelings may not feel that way. We cling to this truth. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity. Oh, isn't that beautiful? He's not sitting in a high, faraway place with a brass ceiling where we have to get to where he's at. He understands humanity. He knows our frailty, and he has not left us alone. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. Everything that you have to face in this human experience, Jesus knows. He feels, he knows, he has such compassion for us. 
And so, now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. He knows our doubt. He knows our fear. He knows what it's like to be right here. And that's why we can so boldly go into that place, to his throne, and receive the grace that we so urgently need. So God presents us with this finished work of Jesus, the complete victory of his son, and he invites us to sit with him in it. Join in my victory. Join in my life. Friends, our life begins with the discovery of what God has already provided in Jesus. That's how our salvation began, and that is how our lives as sons and daughters continues not on the basis of our own work or our own effort, but on the finished work of another, of Jesus. How must I receive the power of the Spirit? How must I receive more of the Spirit? How must I receive the miracle, the breakthrough, the provision? Must I strive for it? Must I plead for it? How many hours must I pray? How many hours must I fast for it? Friends, that is not the teaching of Scripture. Do we pray Yes, prayer is so powerful. It is this beautiful time where we bring our hearts and they become in complete alignment with the heart of the Father, this beautiful alignment with the agenda of heaven that can pour through our lives. Do we fast? Yes, I have to say it's not my favorite, but yes, we turn our devotion towards Jesus. We set aside distractions. We fast. But those things do not qualify us for the breakthrough. We are qualified by the blood and the finished work of Jesus. That is where we sit. That is where our full weight leans into that, into that truth. Isn't that just the most beautiful, freeing, incredibly good news? I receive everything not by walking and doing this Christian life well, but by sitting, not by doing but by resting in the Lord. I'm going to throw in a little disclaimer, and you know, maybe it's not even necessary because I know you guys, and uh, this might be absolutely clear for you, but I thought, let me just throw this in. When I say not doing, I am not referring to taking a continual beach holiday, okay? I'm not talking about work defined as what you get up and do every day looking after your family, uh, going to your business, uh, whether it's ministry in the church or to your friends and community. The work you do is the ministry of your life. And every single part of the work you do is sacred. Okay? Ephesians 2.10, you are the poetry of God. You are his recreated people. And he has set good works for you to do to show this manifold wisdom of God, the kindness and the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. The good works that he set for you to do is where he wants to display all of heaven. So this is the thing. If you, whatever you do is from toil, self-effort, hustling, relying on your own strength, working for your security or for your identity instead of from it, and your starting point for the walk of every day is not from your, your seated position in Christ, then I want to suggest that 
You're separating the sacred and the secular. If you know the reality of sitting with Jesus uh, in heavenly places, in your times of prayer and in worship and maybe in church moments and, and those spiritual spaces, and then you step out of that spiritual space and you do the work of life, which is business and family, and in that space, you're operating in your own ability, your own brain, uh, muscle power, uh, in your independent decision-making, then you've fallen into the trap of separating the spiritual and the secular. And the secular life takes up like 95% of our life, okay? I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit cuts into your heart and soul even in this moment and just sets that alignment correct. Every part of your life is sacred. Every part of your life is ministry. I have ministry to my spouse, to Rob. I minister to my family. I minister to my children. I minister in my business. I minister in leadership at the collective church. Every aspect of my life is my ministry, and it is holy, and it is sacred. And I want you to own that in the deepest space. Jesus is the life and the source of everything I do. Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, For it is not from man that we draw our life. It is not from yourself that you draw your life, but from God as we are being joined to Jesus, the anointed one, and now he is our God-given wisdom, our virtue, our holiness, our redemption, everything we need for every aspect of our life, the source of that which we need is Jesus, the finished work of the cross. Okay? I want to see us own that in the most beautiful, beautiful way. All right. Let's jump back in. Our father is the giver. I want you to think of the parable of the prodigal son. He loves to give. He is so generous. He is so extravagant. He is so wealthy and he is so good. And if we could just catch a glimpse of that and let that understanding saturate our hearts. And you know, it was the elder brother that was so concerned with what he had done, with the good works that he was doing, that he never got to enjoy his position as son. The father right now in this moment is reminding us to enjoy our position in Christ, to let go of the self-effort and the self-work and to rest in the complete and finished work of Jesus. He wants to see you leaning fully on him, resting completely in him, no longer striving or even standing on the strength of your own legs. Lean in, trust and friends, even more so in desert seasons. And Song of Songs 8 verse 5 says, Who is coming out of the desert leaning on her lover? In this season, uh, the Holy Spirit has said to me, you're going to see fruitfulness in the impossible. So my question has been, how do I position myself to see fruitfulness in the impossible? Miracles come from intimacy. Miracles come from standing on the finished work of the victory of Jesus. And so we say into this season that we face, every impossibility, you become fruitful. Say that with me over your impossibility. Every impossibility, you become fruitful. Sons and daughters, let's reposition ourselves seated. Let's get fully aware we are seated in the finished work of Jesus.
All right, I'm going to move on from those first chapters and, and focusing on what is the foundation for everything else. So let's get our position there right. We don't ever move on from that foundational teaching that Paul unwraps in Ephesians 1, 2, 3. That place of sitting is how we walk. That place of sitting is how we stand in warfare. So let's bring that understanding through to the second part of Ephesians that can be summed up in the word walk, which refers to the way that we live our life in this world, right? We are challenged there to live, Paul challenges us to live our life in keeping with the high calling. So in keeping with the fact of you are seated with Christ in victory, in life union with him, and you are a new creation walking here on earth, how do we walk that out? And Paul urges us to cultivate a lifestyle consistent with our new life in Christ. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 1. I love this. I giggle at this. I think it's amazing. As a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank, given to you in your divine calling, with tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous, another word, stretching love towards one another, especially towards those who may try your patience. You know, the world tells us that if someone is draining your patience, cut them off because it's actually not good for your thriving. And Paul is like, no, no, the supernatural love of Jesus that you carry as life within you is stretching and generous enough to actually especially give grace to those that try your patience. Be faithful to God, the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace, being one body and one spirit as uh, you were all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. Friends, Christianity is either perfectly easy or perfectly impossible, depending on your source. Okay? If your source is you and your self-effort, it's going to be tough. But if your source is the Holy Spirit, the endless love and ever eternal grace of Jesus, it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be easy. Um, we've been dwelling a lot in the last couple of weeks on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's this beautiful exposition. Jesus kind of gives the constitution of the kingdom of God, uh, starting in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's so beautiful because you look at the values and the expression of the kingdom of heaven versus the values and the expression of the kingdom of this world. It's just beautiful. It draws us into our high calling. But let me tell you that in those chapters, what Jesus is doing is he's actually perfecting the law to such an extent that we would never be able to reach that expression of the kingdom without the Holy Spirit. He says, you, you used to learn that you shouldn't murder those around you. But I say, don't even be angry, because if you're angry in your heart, it's the same thing. <laughs> He says, the law taught you to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm saying, love your neighbor and do acts of kindness and bless them when they curse you. He takes what was in the law that we were trying to attain in the Old Testament context to something that's unattainable without the life of Jesus working through us, without the empowering life of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's the same, you know, when, when I hear people say, I can't love the church because I've been hurt, because I've been, um, I've really gone through so much. I can't love the church, but I love Jesus. It's actually impossible. 
I understand that we have all received hurts in a church context. We've all been, uh, we've perhaps been failed by leadership or whatever it might be. But that's true. You almost have a right to feel that way. But our rights to feel that way were nailed to the cross with Jesus. Jesus is in extravagantly in love with his bride. And when we put our right to offense aside and we allow the Holy Spirit, the life of the Holy Spirit to surge up within us, we cannot but love the body of Christ. Um, it seems from Ephesians 4 that we can hold on to the dead old life that was crucified with, with Christ. Because Paul says, don't hold on to the lifestyle of the old man's self. So it, it seems like we can hold on to that lifestyle, right? But he says this, be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness, and now you belong to him in the realm of true holiness. We can choose to hold onto that old dead life self, or we can choose to learn to be transformed as we embrace the life of Christ, the Holy Spirit within. Jesus wants to love the world through you. He wants to love his body through you. In fact, he wants to continue the work that he started that's penned in the Gospels through your life and through my life. And we do that. We let heaven come through our lives as we partner and be transformed by Jesus within us. All right, let's end with standing. Let's come back to what warfare looks like in the kingdom. In the third part of Ephesians, from chapter 6, we find a key understanding towards the attack of the enemy. And it's summarized in the word stand. Stand is mentioned in that chapter in Ephesians like four or five times. Stand. Stand. What are we standing on? We're standing on the foundation that Paul taught in chapters 1 to 3. We're standing on the finished work on the cross. We're standing because we're sitting with Jesus in heavenly places. So let's read the scripture, the armor of God. And I've taken this um, translation from the Amplified. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Draw your strength from him and be empowered through your union with him. And in the power of his boundless might, we draw strength and are empowered by our union with Jesus. I love that scripture in Zechariah, not by might, not by power, not by your might, not by your power, but by the Spirit of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but it's against the rulers, powers, world forces of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. How beautiful that this um, verse in Ephesians 6 verse 12 is juxtapositioned with the fact that in the opening part of Ephesians, Paul has told us that Jesus has defeated every one of these powers, every one of these authorities and rulers he has defeated, and he sits above them in heavenly places and we sit with him. How beautiful that that is the context 
for this struggle that we face here as we walk out that reality on earth. Therefore, put on the complete armor of God so that you will be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger and having done everything that the crisis demands, stand firm. Having done everything, stand. In your place, fully prepared, immovable, and victorious. We stand prepared, immovable, and victorious. So stand firm and hold your ground, having tightened the wide band of truth around your waist, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What protects your heart? The righteousness that Christ won for you on the cross. That's what protects your heart. Having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and the readiness produced by the good news. The good news of what we've just unpacked is what we strap onto our feet in readiness. Stand on your feet alert. We stand alert. Do you know what happens when we focus too much on the attack of the enemy or the strategies on the, of the enemy or what's happening in the demonic space? When we focus too much on that, we get overwhelmed, we get uh, tired, we get exhausted, and we get numb. We get distracted. But God is saying, no, stand on the finished work of the cross, alert. Alert is awake. We're ready. We're anticipating. Our hearts are actually actively in participating in what God is doing. Above all, lift up the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of of God. We just spoke from Hebrews 4 how that word and the spirit, it's like a, it's a sword that penetrates, right? So you take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Um, in the Passion Translation, it says, embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance. Embrace salvation's full de deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from the lies of the enemy. Isn't that so powerful? We are standing on the revelation of who God is. We are standing on who he's made us to be. We are standing on his promises and the revelation that he has given us about our circumstances. Stand. It's like we are already on the crown of the hill. We are already in the victorious place. And the enemy wants to intimidate us to give back that ground. We need to. It's so interesting. It's not like advance or push forward. It's Stand. Don't be intimidated by the attack of the enemy. Actually, he's the one that needs to back off as we stand in the victory of Jesus. You know, as Paul um, was sharing this in Ephesians, the audience his, he's speaking to has this context of being surrounded by the very powerful Roman Empire and all these Roman soldiers. So as Paul is saying, you put on the belt, you put on truth, you put on salvation, you put on righteousness. They can visualize this army ready for battle, that army that's going out to take ground. I'm just like that, but what am I putting on? I'm putting on truth. I'm putting on faith. I'm putting on salvation. The reality of that finished work is what I put on in order to face 
the battles. Because Jesus pretty much guarantees in this world you will have trouble. trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome this world. Bill Johnson says this, bold faith stands on the shoulders of quiet trust. Bold faith for the miraculous, for the breakthrough, for the impossible, stands on the shoulders of the quiet trust we have in receiving by grace through faith the finished work, the victory of Jesus. Because Jesus really did pay for everything and cover everything I'll ever need for all eternity, he deserves my complete, absolute, childlike trust, even when things look different than I expected. Friends, nothing is impossible for God, nothing. Without this understanding, we live somewhat intimidated and controlled by the circumstances of life. We cannot hype up, pump up, work up faith. We come back to quiet trust. We consciously put aside our self-reliance, our effort, and we lean back on our union with Jesus. I want to end with this from Romans 8 verse 32, just landing in how incredibly good our Father is and that for all the days of this life and all the ages to come, we will be unpacking his beyond understanding, limitless kindness and grace in the person of Jesus. Romans 8:32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also bring with him and graciously give us all things? How will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Let's pray together. Father, this morning we fall back like little children into quiet trust that everything that is needed for every situation that we will still face, for every moment, for every breakthrough that we need, is found in the finished work of Jesus. And we thank you that you are such a good, good Father. We thank you that we can fall back into your goodness in this moment. And we thank you that along with Jesus, you give us all things. You are the source of all things that we need for every situation. So I just thank you that a beautiful settledness, a quiet trust envelops our hearts this morning. And it's accompanied by rest, by peace, and by joy in whatever we are facing. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray that every impossible situation will become fruitful in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, friends. I love you. Sending so much love. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website thecollectivechurch.ca.za